This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. It seems to many of us right now that America is moving into uncharted waters. In just the last few years, the progressive movement has given us the rise in weaponized identity politics, cancel culture, big tech censorship, and violence in the streets. But its revolution also continues to be alive and well within our own government. And as part of that revolution, they've set their sights on our Constitution, which they view as a barrier to progress and utopian wokeness. And this divide in our nation over the Constitution really is reaching crisis levels. The question is, where is it all headed and how do we save the founders' great vision for this country? We're going to talk about it today with Dr. Charles Kessler, who is editor of the Claremont Review of Books and a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute. He's also distinguished professor of government at Claremont McKenna College. And today we'll be discussing crisis of the two constitutions, the rise, decline and recovery of American greatness. Dr. Kessler, wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Well, this is just a great book. I ended. It's just fascinating to read through everything that you're dealing with in this book. But this this divide that we're seeing now between those of us who value the Constitution as written versus progressives who think it's a living, breathing document and we need more progress. How do you think this divide is fleshing itself out? Because clearly we are reaching a crisis point. Why now, do you think? Well, it's a... Uh I think the first thing uh, citizens have to realize is that the the division has been growing for a long time. Uh, and one of the arguments of my book is that it really started uh, almost 100 years ago, a little more now than 100 years ago, in the progressive era. And you could say the um, the competition between the original Constitution and the liberal Constitution, or the living Constitution, as they like to call it, um, has been growing and it, it but it really became it, it accelerated and the conflict became more radical in the 1960s and then again beginning in the 1990s after the cold war had been won right uh because when we when our great external enemy had been uh, uh, defeated and uh, eclipsed when the soviet union vanished um liberals had a a sort of a clear horizon they could push without worrying about the external uh, limits uh, <clears throat> and the, the needs of national security so much. And that, I think, is, it's those two breakthrough moments, plus the general, um, and I'm uh, sad to say it, the general uh, innervation of the universities yeah. in the country yeah. that have really given... Um, the left, the uh, the room and the incentive they need to take advantage of. Well, right. I know you've talked about uh, Woodrow Wilson, for example, and how he had issues with the Constitution. Was he the first president, would you say, who really took that position? 
Wilson was the first president to criticize the Constitution. Uh, and he didn't just criticize it, um, you know, in a minor way. His point was the whole thing was based on an obsolete theory that, that it, was a, uh, it was a fine 18th century document, but it was now the 20th century. And we needed a completely new constitution, a completely new political science, because we now understood the key fact about human nature, which, which is that it improves over time. It's <laughs> evolutionary. Wow. Uh, and for him, I mean, he really talked about this uh, citing Charles Darwin. We needed to replace what he regarded as the new, what he called the Newtonian, after Isaac Newton, the Newtonian Constitution of 1787, you know, the original one, with what he called the, a Darwinian Constitution. <clears throat> and he made no bones about that. He said, he said Darwinian, um, and he recommended a Darwinian Constitution in his, not just his works as a political scientist and as the president of Princeton University, but as uh, a candidate for president of the United States and as president of the United States. Right. So would you look at somebody like President Obama as mirroring Woodrow Wilson or taking those ideals even further down the road? Uh, Obama is very much, uh, was very much a Wilsonian president in his understanding uh, that there's a right side and a wrong side of history. That is a sort of classic Wilsonian approach. Uh, But you're right in saying that he, he went further uh, than Wilson. You know, he was, he's a child of the 60s. And so Obama had a, uh, a more postmodern angle to him. He had, he had a kind of um, radicalism, a kind of impatience hmm. um, that, that Wilson didn't have so much. Well, that's right. And so we saw more radicalized views oozing out of Obama now and then. I think he tried to keep that persona going of the purple United States, but that didn't last very long. And and I'm wondering what that says about progressives, how they get elected versus how they take the mask off once they're in office in order to move forward with this utopia they envision. <laughs> well, Janet, that's an old story. Um, Woodrow Wilson did this. FDR was a master of this. And uh, in in many ways, Will I mean, sorry, Obama was a student of those two. Mm-hmm. That is that they they pioneered the technique um, of uh, a kind of subdued radicalism. So they would say uh, often they would say, "There's nothing radical here. This is just an adjustment mm-hmm. of the old constitution to new conditions." You know, we have these new challenges. We have you know large scale industry to regulate. We have uh, immigration. We have uh, international crises and things, which the founders couldn't have anticipated. And so we've just got to update slightly their old division. But, out, but uh, on other occasions, they would sort of let the cat out of the bag uh, and say, you know, what we, what we really need is a new freedom, as Wilson called it, for a new age. What we need is a revolution, not just an adjustment. Wow. And they go back and forth between the uh, the calm, reassuring, almost conservative line that this is, don't worry about this, this is nothing really new, it's merely an application of the old uh, under new circumstances, to letting, <laughs> letting their hair down and saying, this is a, uh, we have a great new vision for the country, a new idea of justice, 
Um, and uh, this is going to be a, um, a, a rolling revolution into the future. All right. What, what do you think their main objection, though, is? When, and I know you can't talk about every single person being identical necessarily, but, you know, the United States Constitution has served its purpose quite well, considering how much this country has thrived and prospered and been a beacon of freedom for the whole world over the course of, you know, over two centuries. What is their main beef, would you say? Is it just this radical? adherence to this Darwinian concept that they think history is progressing toward an inevitable sort of utopia. It seems kind of strange to even hold to that position in light of the history of communism. Yes, and in in light of human history, yeah, <laughs> broadly considered, right. But really, the, the 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 anthropology, if you want to be fancy about it, the 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 idea of human nature that underlies what we call modern liberalism. Um, is one that condemns the Constitution, condemns the Declaration of Independence, uh, because their idea, the old idea of human nature, was static, uh, and it also presupposed imperfection. It presupposed that man was a creature divided between reason and passion, hmm. and torn, you know, a, a, a creature created sort of in between um, God and uh, the beasts. Yes. The traditional idea of human beings as sort of in-between creatures. And what they see is, in a way, uh, the promises of Christianity working themselves out in this world in politics. <laughs> and human nature is becoming more godlike as uh, history uh, progresses and as the conditions of education and socialization and so forth um, become better. And that, in a way, is the is the bottom line uh, conflict or the basis of the conflict going on in America today between one party which believes that human nature is basically um, uh, uh, fixed or, for the most part, fixed, created um, in a way, and then, uh, or whether you view it as natural or as created, it's more or less the same and yeah. presents us with Hang on just a moment. We need to pause. Dr. Charles Kessler is our guest. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a health care program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through May 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new health care program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit health care sharing ministry that offers affordable health care sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. The Ministry of Preborn saves babies' lives and souls by meeting moms where they are and introducing them to their preborn babies through ultrasound. As soon as I saw that heartbeat, it was over. I cried the hottest tears I've ever cried, and I felt a fire in my belly and in my soul, and God touched me that day. He pierced my heart for my child. 
and I felt love. Preborn stands in the gap for abortion-minded women across America by providing free ultrasounds and the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. When a mother sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the baby's heartbeat, she'll choose life eight out of 10 times. For your gift of $140 today, you can help rescue five preborn babies' lives. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. There's a preborn banner to click at JanetMeffer.com or call now 855-402-2229. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. Dr. Charles Kessler is joining me, editor of the Claremont Review of Books and a senior fellow with the Claremont Institute, also author of the great book, Crisis of the Two Constitutions, The Rise, Decline and Recovery of American Greatness. And Dr. Kessler, before we went to the break, we were talking about how progressives envision how the country ought to be and the old constitution isn't needed because it had this static view of man and so forth. And you were drawing this distinction that they they need to move in a new progressive, inevitable pattern of history. Uh, th- that is just a completely different worldview than than the founders had. That, that's right. I mean, the, the if you think of the things which were the proudest boasts of like James Madison and the men who wrote the Constitution, among those uh, things they were most proud of were the separation of powers, federalism, bicameralism, all of these checks and balances which were designed to prevent sinful man, fallen man, from creating a tyranny, yes. from seizing power you know, beyond the office to which a person had been elected or appointed. And the spirit of the Constitution was well expressed in all of those safeguards, given that human nature was dangerous. But increasingly, what liberalism believes is that you need to overcome precisely all of those checks and balances. The spirit of their constitution is if you get the right kind of people in power, good people who come with good educations, you can be assured that they are not going to be tempted to misuse power. (laughs) That's Uh, funny. and (laughs) And so what you must do is you have to change the government. You have to change the constitution to be able to concentrate power in the hands of those who are going to do good. And that really is, in a way, the theory of the living constitution, that the government is there to reinvent the constitution rather than that the constitution is there to limit government. Wow, that's astounding. I I just had to break into laughter there because, well, look at them. So I guess that's really an argument against their view that if you just get those right, smart academicians put into the right places, government will be utopia. And we see that that's not true at all. So conversely, when we look at those of us who like the Constitution and appreciate the Constitution for what it actually is, what are your thoughts about the continuing relevance of the Constitution and and the founders getting it right in the first place? Well, to me, uh, and (laughs) I have to say people like us, I think, who have a different view of human nature. The relevance of the Constitution is obvious. We don't want to make the president into our moral leader and, uh, you know, the sort of supreme leader of the country who is supposed to move the country forward and have the Congress follow him and have public opinion follow the Congress. That's really the Wilsonian model. Uh, Instead, we, we like to think that politics should uh, go from the grassroots up that state and local government is very important, and that we like you know, our politicians to have experience answering to the voters in state and local government before they ascend to the national government in the best of cases, and that things like separation of powers and checks and balances 
and elections matter. Right. Uh, and that the consent of the governed is not optional. <laughs> I mean, the consent of the government is the operative principle of the country, and no amount of expertise can cancel that or override that. We have to have, we want to have wisdom in the people we elect to office, but we want that wisdom to come also with consent. And that's what the Constitution is set up to do, and the relevance of that, um, and how free the country has remained, how prosperous it has grown, uh, all of that is traceable back to that constitutional scheme. Yes. And all of it is really imperiled by the, uh, I think, foolish or short-sighted attempt to jettison much of that constitution in favor of a more up-to-date or supposedly up-to-date model. Right. So looking at the presidency of Donald Trump, I I have never seen the left go as nuts as they did during the Trump years. How much of that was informed by personality and the the fact that Trump was not afraid to poke people in the eye back when they were annoying him? And it certainly had an over-the-top personality and still does, uh, versus what he stood for, pro-America and pro-freedom and pro-sovereignty, what do you make of that conflict between the progressive left that wants to go past the current Constitution and their vitriol that was aimed in Trump's direction? Well, the two, for the contemporary left, the two threats are really the two sides of the same coin. What they, what they disliked, what they um, hated and abominated about Trump was that, uh, on the one hand, he, didn't, he was never cowed by their supposed wisdom. True. Um, he didn't believe in the expertise of experts unless it was really tested by experience. And he wasn't going to be, you know, he wasn't going to be bullied into doing things the way they had always been done uh, in, con- in contemporary Washington, um, just because that's the way they had always been done. And so he raised questions about, you know, economic nationalism and about our alliances and our foreign policy, which were very uncomfortable for the, uh, you know, the administrative uh, state, for the permanent government in Washington. And, they, and the fact that he, not only did he challenge their wisdom, uh, but he did so in the name of the people's greater, as it were, wisdom or their authority, their greater authority to consent and their greater common sense. Yes. Uh, and the two, the two things, the challenge to their wisdom and his claiming the mantle of the people against the government was just too much for them. I mean, it, it really blew their minds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, that, and that's really why they could never forgive Donald Trump. You're right about that. There was a lot of uh, memory for a lot of Americans of Reagan in Trump. There were some similarities, clearly not the same personality or the same sort of the way he carried himself, obviously, but the, the patriotism and, and bringing back to the average working man the sense that he was important and he wasn't just lost in the shuffle of powerful government overlords. But now we have the Biden presidency. This is just strange territory we're in now because he just seems confused and checked out. And a lot of people are saying, is this just a shadow presidency? Is Obama really controlling the marionette strings or the progressive deep state on some level? How do things go forward from here, do you think? Because they're, they're as radicalized as they've ever been on the left trying to push through some, you know, obviously some crazy stuff through Congress. 
Well, I, I'd say right now, we, in a way, we're poised uh, for the next couple of years to have a sort of four-party system. Hmm. Because on the, on the Republican side, you're going to have the, the pro-Trump and the anti-Trump factions feuding with each other about the legacy of Trump, you know, in 2022 and most especially 2024. And on the Democratic side, you have the, the less radical and the more <laughs> radical factions of their party who are going to be fighting it out. But there is some difference between the sort of old, old-fashioned uh, liberal politics of Joe Biden and the politics of uh, Elizabeth Warren and AOC yeah. and Bernie. Yeah. I think the overt socialist side of it and the sort of with it uh, anti-racist side of it is out in front of Biden. And there's going to be a big battle over what direction this administration is going to take. We could see some very serious splits on the Democratic and the liberal side in the next four years. Yeah, we sure could. And in the meantime, when we are looking at our Constitution and the America that we inherited, what is your sense of what it's going to be like going forward when you have this crisis of the two constitutions? We don't know who will win, but but how do you see things going forward? And can the conservative movement prevail over all of the gains, I would say, that the progressives have made in, in government and also in culture? The progressives have had uh, almost a century, really, to change American government. And the 20th century, uh, I call the liberal century, because it's a century when, you know, in, in, at the beginning of the century, in the New Deal, in the 60s, again, you know, very fundamental reforms or, or changes were made to our structure of government and to our expectations of what government ought to be. And that has changed the American people somewhat. And so the, the fight that conservatism has been waging has been very uphill. And, you know, we didn't really have our major victories until the very end of the 20th century. Ronald Reagan was elected uh, in 1980. Uh, Newt Gingrich was able to take the House back from the Democrats for the first time in 40 years. There had never been such a long, uninterrupted uh, period of one-party dominance yeah. in American history as that democratic stretch. He was able to end that, but not until 1994. And so the 20th century was almost over by the time conservatives began to win their major victories. And so uh, we, are, we started from way behind, uh, and we still have a long way to go. But I, I must say, I'm not, um, uh, I'm not a, uh, a pessimist, because I, th- I think nothing is inevitable in politics. We have a, we have a fighting chance, and there, there are signs that um, on, even on the left, people are beginning to be a little bit wary of these socialist arguments, the, the multicultural and uh, anti-racist arguments. And the best evidence is in California, of all places. Yes. You know, in the last election, um, more than 70% of the California electorate voted for Joe Biden. So that was a very good year for Democrats. But it, that same liberal electorate also um, refused to reinstitute, you know, racial discrimination in California in university admissions and government hiring, explicit racial uh, quotas. That was on the ballot. Uh, and they voted that renewal of racial discrimination by the state down by by 11 percent. I mean, it was a huge defeat for the left. And they also rejected a big new business tax by almost the same 
percentage. So these voters, even though they went for Biden over Trump, um, were beginning to put the brakes on some of the worst of the identity politics and the, and the sort of socialist agenda that the leaders of their party are in favor of. Yeah, that's a good sign. You're absolutely right. And we're going to have to wait and see what happens. But in the interim, a really great book to read, Crisis of the Two Constitutions by Dr. Charles Kessler. So good to have you with us. Thank you very much, Dr. Kessler, for being with us today. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure. Oh, thank you. Take care. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. So we're going to do a little study, a contrast between two pastors. Which one would you prefer to have as your pastor? Would you prefer to have, if you had the choice, James Coates, the Canadian pastor who is languishing in jail because he refuses to go along with some of the ridiculous COVID-19 restrictions where he's located in Edmonton, And he has continued to hold worship services with a very robust Christian theology behind it and some very good legal arguments behind it and some very good scientific arguments behind it. And we've talked about him before. He just had his recent hearing on the uh, case and what's going to happen. And he now is going to have to remain behind bars ahead of his trial this spring for allegedly breaching COVID-19 restrictions. That's good. Keep the really severe criminals locked up because you'll be keeping the community so much safer. This guy is clearly a threat to the community. He might go out without a mask. This is just outrageous what they're doing to this pastor. And I'm going to get into a little of that a little later on. Here's your other choice. Pastor Andy Stanley of Atlanta's North Point Community Church, who recently said he is embarrassed by churches that engaged in spitting matches with state and local governments over COVID-19 lockdown restrictions, lamenting that far too many churches abandoned the mission for the sake of the model. This is from the Christian Post. You know, Andy Stanley's the same guy who says we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. I, I really don't listen to anything Andy Stanley has to say because I think he's off his rocker. I mean, I'm not saying that he's literally insane or or crazy or anything from a mental health perspective. I'm not trying to be nasty either. What I'm trying to say is I don't understand why anyone listens to this man. He has said so many outrageous things, so many unbiblical things, and he continues to put himself out there as if he's just God's gift to the world and everybody else who isn't doing it his way is just an embarrassment. This is what the big Eva types do. This is what the liberals, the progressives, the white supremacy yellers say. You know, people like all of the, 
you know, the big evangelical leaders, the Ed Stetzers, the Russell Moores, oh, those people who want to keep their churches open. They just don't love their neighbor. Let's listen to the rest of the story here. So he, here's what Christian Post says. Andy Stanley, who made headlines last year when he announced that his Atlanta area multi-site church would not resume in-person worship services until 2021, said during an event on Thursday that many churches across the country had the exact wrong approach to the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, first of all, I'd like to say closing your church down voluntarily when nobody was actually saying you have to close your church down is just weird, in my opinion. It's just weird. That's not even closing your church down because you're trying to say this is in compliance with Romans 13. Nobody made you do it. You just did it. You just, what kind of pastor goes, yeah, I think I'm just going to close down my church. He said, the thing that has been concerning to me about the local church is how quickly so many local churches felt like we've got to get back in our building shoulder to shoulder doing what we've always done. Why is that weird? Why is that concerning? It was the exact wrong response to COVID because we had an opportunity of a lifetime to do new things, try new things, experiment with new things because we couldn't do the old things. What, like have church? We need a new thing. I know. Let's all stand on our heads and do a Zoom call. That's much better because this just gives us an opportunity for innovation. That's what it's all about. Innovation. We can come up with some creative new ways of not gathering. Even though the word of God tells us we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So we need something new. I mean, that's so old school. He goes on to say, and instead of focusing on what we can't do, we should have been 100% focused on what we can do. Well, you can worship. You're going to pay a price, but you can come together as a church. And now we're seeing much more opening up of a lot of churches across the country. But it's such a ridiculous thing to say. The megachurch pastor said he was embarrassed by the churches that sued and engaged in a spinning match with local governments over COVID-19 restrictions. He said, I thought, wait a minute, we're the body of Christ. We're not in it to win it. As you're in it to win it, You've abandoned our New Testament mandate, which is what? Stay home and slow the spread after 15 days, which has now been going on for 400. Is that, is that what the New Testament says? We're in it to serve. Hmm. No, church actually is about worshiping the Lord our God. That's the primary reason that the church comes together, to worship the Lord our God as a body. That's not service. Service is part of what we do as Christians, but that's the next level of the outcome of having faith in Jesus Christ and coming together as a body. We serve one another in love. We're in it to serve. Half the time when he's talking about serving, he's talking about serving the community, which I don't see any mandate in the New Testament. Hey, Peter, Paul, go serve your community. Jesus said to go and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission says nothing about serve your community. This is a social justice mindset. And I'm not against service. Certainly not. But that's not the main mission of the church. He says, there's more need than there's ever been, blah, blah, blah. Now, now get this. He said, we were able to do so much more in the community because the community had our undivided attention. He said that the Red Cross's biggest blood drive was held at North Point. Wait, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I thought you were concerned about gathering. This was something he talked about in August. He was interviewed by 
one of the senior VPs over at Liberty University, and talked a little bit about why he decided to close his church in the first place. And he said they didn't want to be a super spreader. That was one of the reasons that he gave. Listen to what Andy Stanley said back in August about all this. This is cut one. We announced we're going to be closed for three weeks when we didn't know what this was. Then we announced we'd be closed for the summer and we would reopen when schools reopened. All the numbers in Georgia, the COVID numbers were going in the wrong direction. Um, Once the schools punted, um, for a while to go to online learning, um, we realized why would we try to open up our uh, children's ministries um, while the schools weren't safe to open. So the, for us, this was 100% about how do we love our neighbor and how do we love our neighborhoods? And I know there's a lot of controversy around this right now, but our and th- we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, I hope, but this really is as much a theology and a leadership decision for us as it is anything else, um, because we have always tried to be a very outward facing church in our community. Mm -hmm. So if it's not good for the community, um, even if it's good for us, it's a loss. And as every pastor who's watching or listening or future pastor who's watching or listening, um, the temptation is always to do what's best for the church and the church people. And I think that is um, completely opposite of what both Jesus modeled and taught. No, it wasn't. Actually, it wasn't at all. This is so backwards. We're outward facing for service. You're outward facing for service. That is not, again, the primary mission of the Church of Jesus Christ. If you are putting your outward service to the community, putting that forward as some excuse for why Christians can't get together because at least this gives us an opportunity to figure out how to serve the community better, then that's just weird. And I don't hear any verses coming from Andy Stanley defending any of this. And when he does get into scripture, it gets really, really strange. Well, he goes on in this Christian Post story. Listen to this. The pastor said that North Point learned so much in the wake of COVID-19, adding, we're going to carry so much of what we've learned forward. He stressed to other church leaders, you marry the mission, you date the model. Okay. You inspire people to follow Jesus. That's our mission. Inspire people. No, you preach the gospel. You don't inspire people to follow Jesus. What does that even mean? You date the model shoulder to shoulder in a building, singing songs and worshiping and listening to sermons. I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. All that is, is a model. No, it's actually in the New Testament. Read Hebrews 10. He continued, during this season, you abandon the model for the sake of the mission, but the local churches that abandon the mission for the sake of the model and rush back into the model... I feel like we, in some cases, missed an extraordinary opportunity, especially the churches that got in a spitting match with local and state governments. That was just embarrassing to me as a Christian. You're embarrassed by Christians who don't want to obey tyrannical governments who didn't have the right to do what they were doing in the first place to the degree that they were doing it. Do you know anything about the law, about the Constitution, about what we understand as the role of the jurisdiction of the church separated from the jurisdiction of the civil sphere? I'm guessing not, because when you're focused on service to the community and being embarrassed by those Christians who really want to get together and worship in person, I'm not sure how you get through to someone like that. There's more to come, though. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
fellow Christians are suffering in Africa. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten and jailed many times, not merely for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many are coming to Christ. But extremists have assaulted Lumo, his family, and many in his church. But they're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. Instead, they're praying for God's word to endure and persevere as new followers of Jesus Christ. That's exactly why we're partnering with Bible League International to send Bibles to 1,500 new believers in Africa. $5 sends a Bible, $50 sends 10, and every gift given will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's an Open the Floodgates banner at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, and God bless you for caring. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Well, if you opened your church up, or if you were one of those churches who went to court in order to have the right to open your church up during the COVID-19 pandemic, then Andy Stanley's embarrassed by you. Sorry, he's embarrassed by you. If you were in that church, for example, that had drive-in services and you were told by the governor, sorry, you're going to get arrested, you're going to have the police come along and cite you if you have drive-in services and you went to court and you won your case, apparently this is embarrassing to Andy Stanley, the pastor of North Point Community Church, because he just recently made these these comments. Andy Stanley has had his church shut down. He shut down his church without even being told he had to continue to shut down his church in total uh, until 2021. Remember when he did that? Now, I go back to some of this audio from August when he was speaking with a senior VP over at Liberty University. He was talking about his decision to close his church for the entire year of 2020, But he said there was also, in addition to concerns about being a potential super spreader, there was a leadership side to that decision. This is cut two. We have about 550 employees. We have nine or 10 campuses in the greater Atlanta area. And I realized um, this is an extraordinary opportunity and uh, you should never let a pandemic go to waste. And, And I know that's you know, I don't want to downplay the danger of this. We have lost um, people in our church who have died, who gotten very sick. We have all those stories like most churches. But and for your students, you know, every um, every 
um, season of uncertainty brings opportunity. Right. So as you know, putting on my leadership hat for a minute, I thought, wow, here's an opportunity to say to our 550 staff, hey, you don't have to worry about, are we going to open up next week? Are we going to open up the next week? Are we going to open it? I said, let's just take it off the table. We're going to stay closed for the rest of the year. Now, let's focus your incredible energy, creativity and innovation on doing things we didn't have time to do before or that we couldn't do before or that we weren't even sure would work before because we've just taken your Sunday responsibility and your weekday responsibility to get ready for Sunday off the table. So let's don't focus on what we can't do. Let's ask the question, what can we do now that we couldn't do before so that we are continue to be outward facing in the community, serving the community and engaging people? Our The mission of our church is to inspire people to follow Jesus. So how do you inspire people to follow Jesus when you can't gather hundreds and thousands of people together on Sunday morning? And um, I got to tell you. Watching our amazing staff from all of our nine or 10 Atlanta area churches go after it has been exhilarating. We are learning so much. We're doing things that I'm sure we will continue to do once we're able to reopen on Sunday morning. So you're learning then. Well, that's good. You're not worshiping God together as a body, but you are learning. And it's an exhilarating time of creativity. Well, wonderful. I can't imagine being on a church staff and saying, when will we reopen, Pastor? When will we reopen? And the pastor's response is, let's just take it off the table altogether. I'm sorry, but that's just weird. That's just a very strange response. And I am amazed that more people, and I guess he did get some pushback at his own church over this, but I am amazed that the church didn't respond more cohesively in saying to Andy Stanley, what are you doing? What are you doing? This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. But I don't know who goes to that church and who's thinking through this very deeply. One more cut from Andy Stanley back in August. This really says a lot because he was asked to talk through his theology on this issue. Well, this is eye opening. Cut three. I am convinced that on the night that Jesus gathered with his apostles for his final Passover, That when he said a new command, I give you, I'm convinced that his new command is the marching orders for the church. Mm. This was the all encompassing. It brings everything else up underneath it. This is the if you forget everything else, remember this. He said, this is my new command. And of course, when he said, I give you a new command, he was doing something only God could do. He was he wasn't he wasn't exegeting commands. He was replacing and giving a new one. Mm. He said, you are to love one another. And that wasn't new to which he would have said, well, I'm not through. You are to love one another as I have loved you. But the next day he put on a demonstration of love, of course, that took their breath away because Mm. it took his breath away. And they understood that that the marching orders for his ecclesia, his movement is to ask the question, what does love require of me? And not just love that I've experienced with other people. What does this profound love that Jesus demonstrated when he gave his life on behalf of humanity? So Jesus says, you are to love one another the way that I have loved you. This is, you know, the golden rule is love the way you want to be loved. He said, no, we're done with that. This is a whole new level. This is the platinum rule. You are to love each other the way that I have loved you. He set himself up as the gold standard for love. Well, I think that is the driving ethic for Jesus followers. And that's why I teach constantly. And when when you don't know what to say or do, ask, what does love require of you? Gee, did I miss the translation in which Jesus said, we're done with the golden rule? Did you catch that part? The golden rule? Ah, we're done with that. We're done with that. 
Matthew 7, 12, the Lord says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is a summary of the Old Testament. And yes, he does say a new commandment I give to you, uh, just what he said, but he he didn't go back and say, get rid of the golden rule. This guy is just winging it every time he opens his mouth when it comes to theology. His exegesis is just horrible. I mean, he really needs to go back and sit under his father's teaching for a while. His father can interpret the Bible much better than the son can. Well, I, this is just astounding to me. Now, let me go back to an article that I think is really important. This is actually from the Catholic World Report, but it's kind of an interesting situation with the James Coates arrest and imprisonment and a really good commentary on this says a lot of good things in this article. This is from Dr. Douglas Farrow. He says, as this case with James Coates wends its way through the courts, it will direct fresh attention to some very old questions about the lines separating secular and religious jurisdictions for the state is now given to thinking that it can draw the line where and as it likes suspending religious as well as civil rights and freedoms for as long as it sees fit. Certainly it does not allow that religious communities may make their own determinations about health and safety, nor does it comprehend what Pastor Coates wishes it to comprehend the need of his community to meet as an entire body or family on the New Testament model. The affidavits in the Coates case contain large tracts of scripture and the doctrines taught at Grace Life. These the courts will not want to touch, but they will have to wrestle with the fact that Christians do not admit what the modern secular state thinks everyone should admit, namely that there is no higher authority in public affairs than the state itself and that meetings of the church fall under its own jurisdiction. Bingo. That's really what this is all about, especially when you look in the American situation and you see that the local tyrants couldn't have cared less when the Black Lives Matter people hit the streets at the height of the pandemic. They weren't telling them to go home and sending the cops after them. They were playing favorites and they were playing favorites with abortion clinics and liquor stores and leftist activists. So we caught on and then we said, this isn't about health. And it isn't. It isn't. You know, the masking, I know everybody feels better about this, but if you're wearing those masks, I'm sorry, but you have to go back to those epidemiological studies that are showing the masks are basically useless. You're not going to prevent yourself from getting COVID-19 by wearing one of those thin three-ply masks. You're just not. We've talked about this for the better part of a year. Now, this is interesting. The province of Alberta, like many other jurisdictions, has justified its infringements of rights and freedoms by appealing to the pandemic, but that of itself does not settle anything. Like some other partners to civil society, Grace Life has not been content to leave judgments about the pandemic to the WHO or the local authorities. It disputes the right of the state to micromanage our lives and our responses to the pandemic and even disputes the new highly malleable definition of a pandemic. This is what Grace Life said. The reason we put pandemic in quotes is because the definition of a pandemic was changed about 10 years ago. At one time, a pandemic was defined as an infectious disease that resulted in a certain percentage of excess deaths over and above normal annual averages. The definition was changed in connection with H1N1 to remove this threshold. 10 years ago, COVID-19 would not have qualified as a pandemic. In fact, not even close. 
In Canada, the coronavirus has killed about 537 per million, a little over 0.05% of the population. So you got all kinds of issues that are coming to bear on this. The question of jurisdiction, the question of tyranny, of playing favorites, and the question of whether or not we can even trust the so-called science coming out of the mouths of these people, the who's been all over the place. Here in the United States, we've seen these leftist politicians all over the place. We can't trust them. We can't trust them. That That's the bottom line. And for those pastors who are saying we need to get back to normal and they should have the right to do it because didn't we have a separation of church and state, at least here in the United States? And apparently very similar situation in Canada. I, I'm thankful for pastors like James Coates. I really am. And I would ask you to remember him and his family in prayer. It's a tough situation to take the stand he's taking, but God bless him for taking it. I wish many, many more pastors would get behind him and do it themselves. We love the Lord. We ought to show it. Thanks for being with us here on Janet Meffer today. We've got to leave it there. We'll see you next time.